Well, good morning, Bayshore. We're so glad you're joining us this weekend and the great weekend experience we're having at Bayshore at all of our campuses and also online. And what an exciting time it is. We're so glad that you're with us this weekend. And in whatever format you're with us, uh, we're having record regathering numbers, people coming back to our campuses, and also many, many people watching online. So however you're a part of this week's experience, we're so grateful that you're a part of what we're doing here at Bayshore, and we're just thankful for you. And I want to say a big hello to our Fenwick Island campus. We love you guys, and you're doing such an amazing job. Last week, Pastor Jeremy did such a great message on the Sabbath and getting some rest and just really taking care of yourself. What a great message it was. But uh, today we're finishing up our series called Blink, and this series is really about the idea of honoring the time that we have here on the earth. We realize that we have a finite amount of time on this planet. So therefore, if we have a finite amount of time, then we have to be wise how we use that time. We're going off of scripture in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, and it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's Psalm 90, verse 12. And I love the word number. I think a better word is teach us to count our days. Really think about how many days you really have on this planet and how you're going to be using those. So we've been talking this whole series about that. Today, I want to talk about this concept, this idea. If we have a limited amount of time here on this planet, who should we spend most of our time with? If we have a limited amount of time here on this planet, who should we spend our time with? Now, I, you know, I don't know if you know how many people are on the globe right now on planet Earth. You know, actually, I thought it was about 6 billion, but it's more than that now. Here's the number of people that are on our planet now. Look at that big number, and uh, here's what that is exactly. 7,655,957,369. So that is a lot of people. So when you think about the vast amount of people on this planet, and you have a limit of time, you just have a fraction of that number, who are you going to spend that time with. I think it's a struggle for us to sometimes sort out how we're going to spend our time. If we've got 80, 90 years, however long we have on this planet, how are we going to designate out our time? You know, And so that's important for us to think about. It's kind of humorous when I think about uh, trying to spread out your time and, and minister to people and take care of people. I think about Abraham Lincoln when he was uh, inaugurated president in 1860. What a big election that was. And he won the election. And evidently, he had made a lot of promises to people that were uh, looking for a political office, a high-paying political office, because they helped Lincoln get elected. And so all these people showed up at the White House, and Lincoln, sort of in a crude manner, sort of in his kind of like earthly way, said this. He said, too many pigs and not enough tits to nurse them. So I don't know if you'll forgive me for saying that, but actually Lincoln said that. And maybe sometimes you feel like that's you. You just don't have enough time to take care of the people in your life. You know, Jesus uh, is a great model for us because, you know, Jesus loved everybody, but he didn't spend equal amounts of time with everybody. That's a wonderful concept. Jesus loved everybody, but he didn't spend equal amounts of time with everybody. And if you look at the life of Jesus... You'll see that uh, he had crowds that were around him at certain points at his ministry. 
great, incredible groups of people. When he fed the 5,000, scholars estimate that maybe it was 20,000 people there. And, uh, and he just was ministering to all these crowds. But often, if you look at Jesus' ministry and look at his life, he often pulled away with just a few people. He pulled away with a few people, and we uh, know those people as disciples. So when you think about how Jesus kind of worked his life, what he did was he knew he had a certain amount of time on this planet to initiate the kingdom of God. So he was very prudent and very wise how he spent his life, and so he invested his life in 12 men. You know, Jesus didn't really look at changing the world through big crusades. I sometimes see young ministers, they're all excited about some big evangelist in Nigeria or somewhere, and they've got, you know, 500,000 people in a crowd and all that. And, And boy, that's certainly exciting. And that's so wonderful that it happens. You know, that really wasn't Jesus' model to change the world. Jesus' model was to take a few people and influence them and change many people. That was his, his, his model. And an interesting thing, uh, the communists, Vladimir Lenin and uh, all the people in the communist movement back in the early 1900s, they took the model of Jesus and created cells, little groups of people that would be trained to change the world. And Jesus actually had that model as well. And uh, we look at, uh, let me just read a scripture to you, give you a little bit of uh, a feel for this. And here's what it says about Jesus. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus had a, a, a strategy, and he spent a certain amount of his time and his life with a small group of people in order to have a great impact. I think that's such an incredible thing. And I love that part in that verse where it says he chose them that they might be with him, that they might have a relationship with Jesus. I think that's so incredible. You know, they were going to preach and minister, but that wasn't the first thing. The first thing was a relational concept. And you know, if you think about ministry, if you're like a person that aspires to ministry and you want maybe be a preacher or an evangelist or You want to be uh, on staff at a church and all that. That is so incredible that you have that desire. The Bible says uh, it's a great thing to have a, a desire to be an overseer. That's a great thing. But you know, the main thing of Christianity is not ministering, but it's having a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus, that when it's healthy and strong and vibrant, that overflows into ministry. So the first thing that happened in uh, the ministry that Jesus had with his disciples, he built a relationship with them. Uh, When I was uh, growing up, my granddad loved coffee. I've told this story many times. My granddad, uh, he used to, uh, you know, he used to take a cup of coffee and he would fill it up and they'd be sitting on a saucer and he would put a lot of cream in it, then a lot of sugar in it. And he would fill that cup until it overflowed into the saucer. And then we'd take some white bread, dip it in sugar, and then we'd kind of dip it in that creamy, sweet coffee. And then we'd eat that. My granddad was my uh, coffee dealer. He got me hooked on coffee. But you know, ministry's like that. It's the overflow of our relationship with Jesus. The most important thing I can do for our church and our, our, our movement of Bayshore is to make sure that I have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus. And as I'm walking with Jesus, out of that relationship flows ministry. It says that he chose them first that they may be with him and then that they may preach. 
So preaching comes second. Ministry comes second. Relationship with Jesus always comes first. And if you're in ministry, if you're listening to me, I just want to encourage you to think about that order that you are making your relationship with Jesus primary and then your ministry is secondary. And so many times people get into ministry and the ministry becomes everything. They get involved in ministry and their relationship with Jesus goes out the window. And uh, it's interesting to me, that's how important that is. A number of years ago, I was with my dear friend, Sammy Fisher, down in Tyler, Texas, and we were together uh, for a couple uh, days, and I was ministering at his church. And, and uh, as we were down there, one of the things that happened in uh, the time I had there with Sammy, we talked about ministry, we talked about churches, it talk, we talked about, you know, all the leadership concepts we're reading in books. And after about three days, it occurred to me that we've been talking about church We've been talking about ministry. We've been talking about leadership for three days, but we had not been talking about Jesus. And I remembered that when we were uh, long-haired hippies in the 70s, sitting in Sammy's house on Front Street, sitting there with Bibles on our laps, we could just talk about Jesus all the time. And here now, we were talking about ministry. And ministry and Jesus aren't the same thing. Jesus, our relationship with Jesus is so important. So if you lead a small group, or if you lead a ministry at Bayshore, or if you're on staff at Bayshore, or if you're in this audience on, online and you're considering ministry, make sure that you vitalize your relationship with Jesus, that that becomes the primary thing because we love, loving Jesus and walking with him is the most important thing. And so Jesus called these people to be with him. Let me read that verse again just real quickly before we go on. Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, listen, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So Jesus had this incredible model. And I could just go through a lot of scriptures. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had this thing where he ministered to the crowds, but he often pulled away with just a few people. And so he did not spend equal amount of time with everybody. There are certain people he spent more time with because these were the people that he had a special relationship and God was going to use these people to change the world. It's an incredible concept there. I just really love that and uh, incredible thing. When you look at the, the whole Gospels, you'll constantly see that Jesus was pulling away and then he was in the boat a lot of times with the disciples. Now, if you're in a boat in the ancient world in the Sea of Galilee, one of the things that's going on there is nobody can get to you. It's just he and the disciples. And uh, it was the equivalent of Jesus unplugging his cell phone to be with his disciples. Now, there are certain people in your life, you know, you need to put your phone down and you need to turn off your media stuff and you just need to talk with them and be with them because you have a unique relationship with them. So I want to just talk to you a few minutes in today's message about who we should spend uh, our time, our quality time with if we have a limited amount of time here on the earth. Number one thing that we should do is we should spend time with people that love us and are loyal to us. We should spend time to, with people that love us and are loyal to us. You know, there are certain people in your life that would take a bullet for you. They love you. They're devoted to you. You may have a lot of uh, uh, surface friends. You may have a lot of acquaintances. But there's a handful of people in your life that love you, and they would just take a bullet for you. 
They care about you. I got an interesting text uh, just today, actually, from, from one of my dear friends, one of my college friends, Mike Bailey, who lives in Lewistown, Pennsylvania. And uh, we've been friends for 40 years and really, really good friends. And we know everything about each other. You ever have some of those people that, you know, you don't have to put on any airs. I mean, you can just be yourself. I mean, you don't, you don't have to, you know, pretend you are just, just you. And Mike is that kind of friend for me. And so Mike had a, sent me a text, and it was interesting. You know, I think uh, he said he had a dream. And he said uh, he had a dream, and then he says, are you doing well? I had a dream last night that you were ill, and it worried me. Interesting. You know, hey, listen, I don't think that's like some ominous dream. You know what we dream? We dream about things we're afraid of, and we dream about things that we desire. Uh, I'm no Freud, but I can tell you that the things we dream about usually are rooted in our fears or our desires. And so uh, evidently, Mike was just in his subconscious a little worried about me. So he said, you know, I had a dream about you, and I wonder if you're okay. I dreamed you were ill, and it really upset me. He woke up, and so I wrote him back. I said, oh, Mike, thank you for your concern. I'm having trouble hearing my eyes don't see as good as they used to. My back hurts when I get up in the morning. My, might, my right knee has arthritis and gives out occasionally. I have several chipped teeth. I have to go to the restroom about 40 times a day. And if that wasn't enough, my hair fell out. Other than these things, I'm doing amazing. Love you, my dear friend. And then I said, P.S., I had knee surgery a month ago. Hey, listen, you know, we need friends that love us that way. And you should designate time. You should designate quality time to spend quality time with the people that love you and are loyal to you. Those people deserve surpluses and wonderful uh, parts of your time because of how much they love you and care about you. And all of you have some friends, and you know, we're so busy doing stuff, and we have some stuff going on, but make sure in, as we go through this series, and we come to the end of this series, that you become wiser the Bible says, teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Become wiser about how you spend your time and spend some quality time, wonderful time, with the people that love you and are loyal to you. You know, some of the people that fall in that category for me is, of course, uh, my wife, Karen. You know, I have a, I'm so blessed to have some wonderful friends, but my best friend in life is my wife, Karen. And I have all these wonderful friends and just incredible, incredible relationships that God has it blessed me with, but my best friend in this world is Karen, and she loves me, and she's loyal to me, and because of her love and loyalty to me, I, I tell you what, my life and, and my time and my energy should be poured out abundantly on my wife, Karen, because of how special and how wonderful she is. Uh, in fact, every, every evening, uh, we, we spend a couple hours together after we get done eating dinner, uh, clean up the dishes. Nobody's at the house anymore. Kids are gone. We got the empty nest thing going on. Clean up the dishes. I help. We all kind of do it together. They go in the dishwasher. We wash some of the pans in, the, in, in this sink there. And then we get done. A lot of times we hop on our bikes, turn a little uh, lights on on our bikes, and we take a, about a four or five mile ride down the road, and we'll talk, and we'll kind of get off to the side when the, road, when the cars are coming, and we spend time together. And then we come in the house, and uh, we're watching this show now. We always got a show we're watching. And our show now we're watching is called Alone. It's about these, these, uh, these people that are dropped into these remote wildernesses and they have to survive with nothing. And we've been watching. We're like season four now. We've been watching it for about two hours. We'll sit there and we'll watch and we'll kind of talk together. 
as we do that. And uh, a lot of times Karen wants me to rub her feet. You know, she pops her feet up there and I rub her feet and we watch alone and we talk about what we're watching. You know, I do that every night with my wife, Karen. And it's the, it's the highlight of my day. It's the highlight of my day. And because of my special relationship with her, because of her love and her loyalty, I designate special time with my wife, Karen. Now, listen, I love you guys, and I'm honored to be your pastor, but I'm probably not going to watch TV with you two hours a night, and I'm sure not going to rub your feet. You know, listen, you need to designate time to people that love you and are loyal to you. And I remember when uh, I was going through the University of Delaware, I was pastoring this church many years ago, and the church was growing rapidly, and I was going to school, and I was having weddings and funerals and trying to, trying to raise staff up and trying to get leaders and all of this stuff that we were trying to do. And I remember one semester at University of Delaware, I was taking an uh, economics class. It was very, very hard, and it came to the final, uh, the final of that class, and uh, I had had a funeral that week and all this stuff going on, and I had this test on Thursday night, and so I I hit the library early Thursday morning, and I'm studying, trying to get ready for this exam, and I was just overwhelmed. And I remember, you know, toward about, I think the class was at like 7 o'clock at night, and about 5.30 at night, I was up in the loft there at Dell Tech Library. My wife, Karen, and my two little boys then snuck in, and they got a a bag of uh, some food there that they kind of smuggled into the library. And as they came up to that loft, Karen uh, gave me this wonderful food, a piece of pie, and she just began to encourage me. She said, you're going to do great. And the boys said, Dad, you're going to do great. You're not stupid. You're not a moron. You're going to do fine. And I remember that moment. And I remember Karen's love and her loyalty. I remember when I first came to the church here and uh, created a little bit of a crisis and people got upset with me and Everybody left, and the elders resigned, and I'm kind of standing there with about 20 people. And for a year and a half, as we sought to rebuild the church around the vision that God had given us, my wife Karen sat on the third row every Sunday, and she took notes as I preached. And if she wasn't serving the nursery, she was always on the third row rooting for me. So make sure that you love and are, are, are liberal with your time, liberal with your energy, with people that love you and are loyal to you. You know what I see happen sometimes is I see people that are married. You know, they go through the midlife crisis. Now, I don't know if you know what the midlife crisis is, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. You know, get 45, you get maybe, uh, you know, late 30s, 45, early 50s, and you see these guys, they get a wandering eye, and they kind of, they just kind of, you know, lose their passion for their spouse, and, and, and they'll take off, and they'll leave their spouse of, of 20 years or 25 years for some younger version of their spouse, and it's just such a sad thing to me, and I, could, I don't want to be crude, but John Hobbes, the evangelist, he says, how can they leave, how can they leave the woman that's loved them for all those years and washed their dirty underwear for 30 years? And I think that's true. I think we need to be faithful and loving to the person that has been faithful and loyal to us. Love the people that have loved you and been loyal to you. I had a dear friend in college 
And uh, he was a quarterback, handsome guy, and uh, was a great preacher and evangelist. And he, he married sort of the, the queen of the school, and she was beautiful. And they had a wonderful life together, had two perfect kids, and he traveled. But when he got in his late 40s, he got a wandering eye, and he left his wife. He left his wife. And I just wonder that when he gets to the end of his life and he's laying on his deathbed, if he's going to regret, if he's going to re- regret that he left the woman that had been faithful to him and supported him through all of his ministry. Karen and I were in Gatlin, Tennessee one day, and we came into a pancake uh, restaurant, and we walked into this camp pancake restaurant, and there was, serving as the maitre d', the, uh, the woman that was the wife of my friend that left him. And there she was working in this pancake shop, keeping her family going. And I just thought, you know, listen, you, we need to love and be loyal and love the people that have been loyal to us. Can you say a big amen? Let me just read a verse to you about this because I think it's so important. Malachi, the book of Malachi talks about being faithful to your spouse. Malachi says this, and if I can get to it, Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. I love this verse. It says... Another thing you do, Malachi is speaking to the people of his generation. You flood the the altar with tears, you weep and wail, because the Lord no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accept them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why it is because the Lord is a witness between you and your wife, the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So make sure, listen, I just want to say to all the people in our church, I want to say to all the men, I want to say to all the people that you're, you're getting toward those late 30s, you're getting toward those 40s and that midlife crisis thing, I want to make sure that you don't do something stupid, but you stay faithful to the person that's loved you and been loyal to you your entire life. That's an important, important thing for you to remember. I was with my grandfather when he died and my grandmother and he had been married for 53 years and when my grandfather died my grandmother I got to see the picture of love the picture of devotion the picture of loyalty I saw my grandfather hold my grandmother's hand uh, my, uh, my, my grandmother hold my grandfather's hand and as he was leaving this planet tears rolling down her face as she was with him and loved him to the very end. How many know what it says when we get married? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Now, make sure you you love your friends. Make sure you that circle of people that God has put in your life. Make sure you you give time to them because life is like a blink. Make sure you give time to those people. Make sure you're loyal and love the people that are loyal to you, like your spouse. And then here's another. Uh, group of people we need to spend with, uh, spend time with, is we have this limited time on the earth. Spend time with people that want to learn from you. Spend time with people that want to learn from you. You know, I think every one of us need to have somebody that we're mentoring, that we're coaching, that we're helping along the way. I just got a wonderful email from a dear friend that comes to this church, and they're coming toward retirement. And, and they said to me, Pastor Danny, I want to meet, and I want to learn how I can be a mentor to help people uh, in these years of my life. I want to pour into my life. I want to pour into others what I've learned in my life. So make sure that you spend part of your life pouring into somebody else that needs to learn 
from you. Morris Sheets, who was a, uh, was a, a famous pastor in Dallas, Texas, I was privileged to get to, know Dow, uh, get to know Morris a little bit and talk to Morris and interviewed him, and he was a little bit of a, a distant mentor to me. And uh, Morris Sheets used to say, he said, if you were to die and you were in your coffin, who would stand at your coffin weeping, saying, they were pouring their life into me? They were pouring their life into me. So make sure you take some time to pour your life in to other people and to help them. That's what we're supposed to do while we're on the earth. Why are we here? Part of what we're supposed to do is to pour our life into others that need encouragement, that need our instruction. And, and you know, so, listen, you don't have to learn everything by experience. You can learn from the experience of other people. You can learn from somebody else that's walked with the Lord longer than you have. You can learn from somebody that's sort of uh, further ahead than you are in business. And so make sure that you take time to learn and make sure, make sure that you take of your life what you've learned, what you've discovered, your failures and your successes. Take those failures and those successes and, and give them as a gift to another person. Pour your life into them. Let me read a, just a scripture or two to you on this point here. Here's a, here's a great scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. By the way, Timothy was the protege of Paul. He was learning from Paul. And here's what it says. And the things that you have heard me say. In other words, the things I've taught you, Timothy, the things I've imparted to you, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Do you see the pattern there? Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was to teach others, and others were to teach other people. So everybody has a calling. Listen to this. Everybody that's listening to me today, you have a calling. You have a calling to pour your life into somebody else, to help somebody else. And maybe be somebody in your small group you meet as a small group, and maybe after the small group you're always ending up talking to this person. Maybe there's a new believer, and you pull off, and you spend some time. You have lunch with them, and you begin to pour your life into them. Here's a great idea. What about this? What about young couples that get married? Young couples that get married. How about if they just picked out some people that they admire, that have a great great marriage and say, would, could we have dinner together once a month and could we learn from you about how your marriage is so successful? And what if we had people at Bayshore at every campus that had an incredible desire, older couples that have figured this thing out of marriage and you're doing good and maybe you had some squabbles along the way, but you become seasoned and you love each other. And what if you were able to pour your life into a young couple that's just starting out, teaching them how to resolve conflict, how to get along. You've learned, you don't have to be a PhD in psychology to help another person. You can help another person from what you've learned, what the Lord has taught you. So make sure that you spend part of your life Pouring your life in to help another person. You see, I think that part of our life, part of the time in this finite frame of time we have on the earth, part of our life is designed for us to share and to pass on to somebody else. Pass on to somebody else. Uh, there's a little uh, diagram here. Paul, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. You know, somebody said once, and, and maybe the language here, I need to work on the language, but Paul, everybody says we need, everybody, some people say everybody needs a Paul. They need a mature person over them that's just kind of giving them advice and helping them and, and coaching them and mentoring them. 
And then everybody needs a Barnabas. That's somebody beside them, a friend, a peer, like my friend Mike Bailey and my friend Sammy Fisher. They're, they're peers. We're peers. And we're kind of like Barnabases. We're walking with Jesus together. And we're just, we're, we have that parallel relationship. And then everybody needs a Timothy, somebody that's younger or under them that they're pouring their life into. So everybody, I, if you could just think about who is my Paul, who is my Barnabas, and who is my Timothy? I remember when uh, my son Joel, who is the uh, uh, campus pastor at our Rehoboth campus and doing such a great job and such a great teacher and great communicator, I remember when, Paul was, uh, when, when, uh, when Joel was young, uh, Joel really, really wanted to, to really master money and how to really handle money well. And uh, Joel is sort of known for his expertise with money and understanding money and all that. But when he was younger, there was a guy, when, when Joel first started working here in his mid-20s, uh, there was a guy on our board that was incredibly good with money. And this guy had paid his house off before he was 40, and he put his kids through college and paid cash for his kids' education, and the kids didn't have any student loans. And he'd always uh, made good investments, and he always uh, paid cash for cars, never had a car payment. And Joel knew this, and he took this guy out for lunch on a number of occasions. And he said, teach me, teach me, teach me how to manage money the way you manage money. And this guy on our board, he just was so liberal with his time. He was so gracious, and he took Joel under his wings, and he began to talk to him about how to make investments and how to, how to save money. And Joel, by the age of 36, had his house paid for. He's never had a car loan, and he's just done incredibly well. And uh, that's something, that's a great picture of being a mentor. Let me ask you this. What would happen if this fall you let the Lord lay somebody on your heart and somebody that you're going to pour your life into? And here's the great thing about mentoring. The key about mentoring is that when you are a mentor and you are, have a person that wants to be mentoring, the most important thing about mentoring is that you have a person who wants to be mentored. It says, if you look at uh, when Elijah called Elisha, the Bible says, that's in uh, 2 Kings, uh, it says that Elisha ran after Elijah. He ran after Elijah. He was eager to learn. You can never mentor anybody that doesn't want to learn anything. But if you got a person that wants to learn, you can mentor that person. You can help them. When I was a young uh, guy starting out in ministry, there were several people that I, I just called all the time and that were so gracious to teach me. And that's an incredible thing. Let me give you one more thing. We're about out of time here. Uh, who should we spend our time with? we got a little bit of time on the earth. Who should we spend our time with? Here's another idea. We should spend our time, we should spend our time, first of all, with people that love us and are loyal to us. We should spend our time with people that want to learn from us. And finally, we should spend our time with people that are in need. We should spend our time with people that are in need. You know what? Uh, one of the things that we need to do while we're on this earth is not just stay in our neighborhoods, you know, some of us live in really nice neighborhoods, and all of our neighbors are affluent, and everybody's got a nice car, and everybody's got a nice house. If we're not careful, we can live in the suburbs, and we can get completely disconnected from a world at need. And we need to be people that are tuned in to the needs of other people. You know, there's so much. I don't even have time to go through all the scriptures where it talks about 
uh, us helping the poor. Jesus said, you know, we're to help the poor. In fact, he told the rich young ruler, you know, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Really, to follow Jesus means to be helping somebody that's poor. That's not the government's job. That's not the Republicans. That's not the Democrats' job. That is the job of the church. We should be helping those that are in need and also training those that are in need so that they can fend for themselves. That's an important principle that we need to take care of. But we need to think about who are we helping, who are we rescuing. Think of the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan went down there. and He's just going about by his life when there was a man in need. And God had called him to help this man. And he went and he gave his resources and he gave his help and he gave his strength to help this man. And we need to take part of the time of our life to make sure that we're helping somebody in need. Because that's what we're called to do. The book of James says... The book of James says, don't tell somebody, oh, that's in need, that's hungry and cold, and don't go say to them, hey, listen, why don't you go off, and I'm praying that you're going to be well-fed, and everything's going to be great. You know, you don't just send a person off, but you clothe them, and you give them a sandwich. What James was saying, they didn't need a prayer, they needed a sandwich. They needed somebody to help them. When uh, Karen and I lived in our old house, we lived in this uh, rancher house uh, not too far from here for uh, 15, 16 years when we were raising our sons, and we lived in this one wonderful little house. We loved this house. Such great memories in this house. Next door uh, to this house, uh, there was a man that lived with his wife, and uh, they were wonderful people, and uh, his wife got cancer. And, uh, and I would go see her, and she was uh, in the sort of the basement, and I would be there taking care of her and praying for her and ministering to her. And we just prayed for her, and finally she passed away, and we went to her funeral, and they just lived just right next door to us. And this dear man, I was lost without his wife. And he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know how to cook. He didn't know how to take care of anything. He just was in trouble. He just didn't know what to do, and he struggled, and his yard was a mess, and it just, he just was having a really, really hard time. Well, we just invited him over to our house, and uh, he was such a shy person to have a conversation with him. It was very painful. I mean, he just was very, very reticent and not a very conversant person, and he didn't always feel comfortable coming to our house, but we invited him, but he, you know, he, that wasn't really where he was comfortable. So when Karen would make a meal, you know, she'd make, well, she'd make a little extra roast, and she'd make some more potatoes, extra potatoes. She'd make some more, um, you know, broccoli casserole, and she'd make, you know, a little extra pie. And almost, you know, three or four times a week, we'd always take a big plate over to our friend that had lost his wife. And we would take the plate there, and he was, he just would light up when he opened that door and, and got that food. And it uh, wasn't that he couldn't afford the food, he just, he just couldn't cook, and he just wasn't very good at that, and he was lost without his wife. And we did that for years, and took care of him, and just encouraged him, and we're so grateful that we had the opportunity to pour into that wonderful neighbor. Uh, what I didn't know is that sometimes, you know, I would send either Tim or Joel over to take the food to our friend, our neighbor Andy, and he would take the they would take the food over there, and we did that for years. And I didn't know the impact it had on my sons until I was listening to Joel preach one Sunday, listened to his tape, and it's interesting listening to Joel preach because I'm learning all about his childhood from his perspective. And he was telling about the impact that that little thing 
of serving and taking care of somebody I had on him, that he was able to see that his mom and dad, that their faith was not just rhetoric, but the faith was more than rhetoric, but it had real flesh to it as we reached out to our dear neighbor. Now, I don't tell you that to brag on ourselves because we don't deserve any bragging about that. That's not at all the reason for me telling you that. The reason for me telling you that is that part of our life is always to be designated to helping somebody else. So make sure you spend time with people that love you and are loyal to you, people that want to learn from you, and people that need your love because they're struggling. And I want to just encourage you today as we end this series blank to remember that life on this planet is short. But even though it's short, we can make a big impact. And I want you to just lift your hands with me if you're at home. Uh, maybe you're in the living room. Maybe you're sitting in the kitchen. Don't be afraid. Wherever you are, just lift your hands up. Maybe your kids are there. Don't be afraid. Just lift up your hands. The Bible says that we should lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Just lift up your hands right now if you're at home or sitting at the kitchen or maybe you're sitting in your office watching this one on a tablet. Just lift up your hands and let the Lord minister to you. Father, we want to thank you so much for loving us. We want to thank you so much for giving us life as a gift. Oh, Lord, what a wonderful life this is that we get to live these years on this planet that we get to enjoy life, that we get to experience love, that we get to help people that are hurting. Lord, what a great adventure this life is. And Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week for the start of a brand new series. We'll see you next Sunday.